The Digested Read by John Crace The History Man by Malcolm Bradbury Renewed fighting in Vietnam, trouble on the fool's road Everywhere, new developments, new indignities Into this uncertain climate, on the first day of term The Kirks, a couple of the present, have decided to have a party Not just any party, a party that is so genuinely unstructured it needs its own five-year plan. Howard is a sociologist at Watermouth University, a liberated, consciousness, conscious Marxist with a wild intellectual constituency of Maoist squatters and inconspicuous consumers. Barbara, too, is a radical in her own way. She campaigns for teenage girls to be given the pill and sends food parcels to IRA hunger strikers. But history has not been as kind to Barbara as it has to Howard. Since they met at Leeds University in the late 1950s, Howard has gone on to become the darling of the left, thanks to his book on the paternalistic dialectics of his own marriage. Not that he or other academics would have defined its theoretical construct so narrowly. After writing a number of comment pieces for The Guardian, he has spent the summer on his own, apart from his regular Wednesday afternoon horizontal explorations of R.D. Lang's Marxist-Freudian theory of the sexual dynamics of female undergraduates. And he's been writing his latest book, The Defeat of Privacy. After giving birth to two not entirely wanted children, Barbara has found her consciousness-raising activities to be somewhat curtailed. Yet, after a number of affairs that have made their marriage revered as the iconic apotheosis of 70s liberation, and by taking deliberately non-exploitative advantage of the childcare opportunities offered by Howard's braless Sandinistas, it would be wrong to dishonour their effort with a bourgeois financial transaction. She has begun to spread her wings a little, and, on occasion, she now goes to London for a wicked weekend, where she indulges in a little shopping at Bieber and a lot of sex, with drama students half her age. The party is now in full swing. Howard toys with his Zapata moustache as he moves from room to room. There is one woman he doesn't know who introduces herself as Miss Callender, a new member of the English faculty. Tell me, he asks, where do you stand on the permanent revolution of existential thought? I'm just a 19th century liberal, she says, who happens to be interested in story. Story is something that should occupy Howard Moore. He has already read enough of the history man to understand that he is just a vehicle of satire, a man of indefatigable false consciousness, and that as such his character will remain shallow and undeveloped. But then perhaps satire has its own historical inevitability, and there is something to be said for starring in the definitive campus novel. I would like to show you my semiotics, he purrs. I don't think so, Mr. Kirk, she replies. She leaves, and he retires to his basement study where a third-year student, Felicity McPhee, is reading a manuscript of the defeat of privacy. You are invading my privacy, he says. I'm no longer a lesbian, she replies, and he reluctantly unzips his flies to release his means of production, looking up to the skylight to see Miss Callender looking down. What he doesn't notice, because people like Howard never do, is the desperation of his old friend Henry Beamish, 
with whose wife Myra he once slept, as he puts his arm through the bathroom window. The next morning, Howard reasserts his feminist cultural identity by leaving the washing up to Barbara and drives towards the campus, stopping en route at the flat of Flora Beniform, senior lecturer in developmental psychology, for an intellectual and fluid exchange. What did you make of Henry's injury, she asks. It was an accident, he says. For someone who believes in historical determinism, you can be remarkably stupid, she answers, as he deterministically writhes on top of her. If you want to see me again, I do have a half-hour diary slot on Thursday evening. The constant heavy-handed juxtaposition of theory and practice might have wearied some readers who had long since got the point, but the dialectics of satire are unforgiving, so now we must follow Howard to the social science faculty, where he is to be found furthering his own ends, with a conspiracy about a proposed guest lecture by the racist geneticist Dr Mangle, before rearranging the bourgeois furniture construct of teacher and taught for his first seminar of the term, on normative theories of reductive consensus. "'You are an anal fascist!' he shouts at Mr Carmody, an unfortunate beblazed student who has dared to write out an essay, an essay laced with Weberian imperialist assumptions, in full. You have failed the course. Mr Carmody is unhappy about both his marks and his treatment, and complains to Professor Marvin, the head of department and in due course Howard is summoned to his office to explain himself. Comedy is a neo-Nazi, Howard says. He deserves to fail. Yes, yes, Marvin replies. He is an inadequate student, but I have read his papers, and I feel he is a borderline pass. Then that just shows the limitations of subjectivity. With the kind of relentless satirical determinism the reader has come to expect, the book follows its course through comedy and pathos, through departmental set-pieces and Barbara's unhappiness, to its inexorable conclusion with comedy accusing Howard of gross moral turpitude for his relationship with Felicity. Howard, of course, shrugs off such charges with his usual liberal panache. Partly this is because he knows that as much as Barbara mocks the emptiness of sociology, he also secretly admires it and longs for himself for the applause of its self-congratulation. But mainly because he knows that Bradbury is an English academic and there is nothing more historically inevitable in modern fiction than a psychologically unconvincing catharsis to bring about a desired conclusion. I'm aware I'm the only one who stood as a mirror to your flawed radicalism throughout the novel, says Miss Callender, but for no apparent reason I have now decided to sleep with you and defend you against dismissal from the university. So there, we must leave Watermouth. Carmody's departure from the university goes unnoticed by all, while Howard continues to dazzle. But there is time for one more piece of historical inevitability. The fictive symmetry. So as the pages come to an end, we see the Kirks having yet another party. Only this time, it's Barbara who puts her arm through the bathroom window. <laughs> ¶¶